You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with Dan. We're back. Dan, it's just you and me tonight, buddy. What happened to Jay? I'll never tell. <laughs> it is Halloween and all. Woo! Uh, he's really at work, so... What a lame-o. Yeah, seriously. God. Seriously. But, uh, for you lucky listeners out there, you have Dan and I, and we are here to bring you a great show. We are going to do a game review today of a game called Call to Adventure. It is one that uh, Dan and I have played several times together. Call uh, to Adventure! And uh, we liked it enough to actually do a review about it. Call to Adventure! I think we'd still do reviews of a game, even if we didn't like it. That's true. Stinker games can be a lot of fun to nitpick and say, you know what the designers did absolutely wrong here to make this not fun? Yes, but that is not this game. It is not this game. This game was a fun one. So we're going to bring you uh, what we like about it. But first, let's do our Geek Week. Dan, how did you do this week, buddy? Oh, it was so not geeky. Not geeky at all. Um, You're a little geeky. Uh, except for table, table, table. I've um, you, you wouldn't be able to tell from our uh, Discord channel, but I've made a ton of progress. And I've been buying a lot of things that I need to finish the table. I've got foam for the elbow pads. I've got all kinds of stuff that I've been accumulating to finish the job. Nice. Um, and uh, considering that uh, the day of my birth is upcoming, I decided to buy myself a little present without telling my wife first. Oh, boy. And that made me very unpopular. Uh, I got a little $600 table saw. So, oh. you know, if you're doing this stuff, you keep running into the same problems over and over again. And really operating a table saw, you need for dados and rabbits and all this other stuff. So... There's, uh, I just kept, it was like beating my head against a brick wall. And I'm like, it's my damn birthday. I'm going to buy it. And she's going to be mad, but I'm going to buy it. And she was mad and I was unpopular. But anyway, she, she said I didn't have to return it. So, <laughs> but now you have a table saw and now I know where to go when my son needs to build a Pinewood Derby car again. That's right. Bring it on. Bring it on. We'll watch YouTube videos about how to uh, manipulate your Pinewood Derby car. To, there you go. Uh, to get exactly. the best possible uh, speed. Yeah, absolutely. Pinewood Derby kids, kids will get together in a gym again and do things within arm's reach yeah, right. i don't know about that <laughs> so yeah i've it really doesn't look like it but what i've been working on is building the foundation that i can like tack heavy things onto nice um and i have so many bizarre weird angles and a lot of i'd spend a lot of time i had to buy digital measuring tools and this is a, a pro tip don't start the project without buying the the digital thing where you can get a fraction of a degree on your saws for the angles. And also, if you have lots of non-90 degree things, you need like a digital um, uh, uh, protractor um, for construction. And I didn't oh. have that at first. So I have a lot of crap angles built into the base, base of it. So the, not every angle is equal all around the... It's an eight-sided thing, so it yeah. has eight points and they should be like 135 ish degrees and some of them are off. And so when they're off, things don't match up. So every, every little, every little, you know, four square inches has to be custom done. And then if the saws off by a little bit, it's just really slow going. So anyway, long story short, if you want to make your own table, 
90 degrees is your friend. 90 freaking degrees. Don't get creative. Don't do hexagons. Don't do octagons. Octagons. I've been burned real bad. <laughs> but it'll be fun when it's, once it's done and once I tack all the leather down and install the lights. Oh, I got plexiglass coming too. That's not cheap. If you're going to incorporate plexiglass, you got to like. It's not cheap. That's a bitter pill to swallow. You're like, oh, I'm spending that much money for just a few pieces of plastic? You're kidding me. Yeah, so I was looking at plexiglass because I got a shelf um, system for my minis. Yeah, um, yeah. But the thing is, is there's like a good foot and a half in between each shelf. Like I can easily, for my minis, put another shelf in between each thing. So turn this from a four shelf mm-hmm. unit to an eight shelf unit. Yep. I was looking at plexiglass that would fit the measurements and it was like $35 <laughs> for a sheet of like 11 by 15. And I'm yeah. like, I could buy a whole new shelf. For buy that a price. new shelf. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you know what I found? I found $1 wire locks. You know, they're like the little locks that go around, um, pull like little metal rods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you can set things on top of them. So I found one dollar oh, wire locks. There you go. And a uh, a tempered glass cutting board for wow. nine dollars, eight dollars at uh, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. That's so great. Uh, so the, the, it's it, it's got like frosted glass instead uh-huh. of clear glass, but I don't Who cares. Care. Yeah. Yeah. Repurposing other things. You get so many great ideas just walking through the dollar store. Yeah. You're like, if I bought 10 of those, that would solve like an interesting problem. Like for instance, Harbor Freight Tools gets a really bad rap. And of course, the stuff I'm buying lately has not been at Harbor Freight. But guess what? <laughs> they have for 200, for $2, 200, for $2.67, $2, you can get 10 rare earth magnets. So oh, nice. with those rare earth magnets, which are, are they're How sta- big are they? Um, they're five uh, eighths of an inch. So they're a standard drill bit. And so I'm going to be able to screw in. I'm going to be able to do just a little tack in uh, screw and yeah. put a little glue. And I researched gluing metal to wood. Yep. Um, you'll, you'll do it right. And I'm going to be able to put in a bunch of rare earth magnets to help uh, lock things together, like um, like the leaves and like yeah. uh, drink drink holders and, and dice trays and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm considering it's a super low barrier to entry at Harbor Freight. And you walk through those stores and you get ideas. And you're like, I, hey, this is so cheap. I could buy 10 of these and do something cool. And so yeah. now, now yeah. I will be into it a whole rip or in $6 for what I want to do with rare earth magnets. Right, right. That's, that's kind of exciting for me. Um, I use uh, the teeny rare earth magnets all the time on the bottoms of my miniatures. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I put them there, and then I've got a galvanized uh, steel sheet on the uh-huh. bottom of my um, Tupperware bin. Yep. And then cool. that way they stay in there, and I can transport my minis without them flopping all over the place. Oh, gee. I've busted so many X-Wing planes just yeah. by not putting enough foam around them and not having yep. a good solution. So, um, yeah, creativity really, really counts in this game. And um, I, I every time I start throwing money at a problem instead of using creativity is when I usually have a lot of regrets. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, more to come on that. I, I'm once it's like close to looking like it's done, there'll be more photos that will be publicly acceptable right now. If people looked at it, they'd say, well, that looks really stupid, Dan. So, well, all I saw was your big shoes. 
you're looking at my feet. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm literally standing on it, proving that it can hold a big dude, big dude's weight, which means I can, you know, start t- gluing yeah. a tenth of that weight on there, and it, everything will hold just fine. But it is getting heavier, and I got to put some handles on the underside so I can. Lift. So nice. I, it's not so heavy I can't lift it right now, but there's no place to grab on that's oh, fi- yeah. that's that's good. So anyway, long story short, I could talk about this all night. I promise not to, but um, uh, I got the fog glass, the fogged um, plexiglass. Uh, even though I went online and they show you how to fog your own plexiglass with the sandpaper, I'm like, or I could buy fog glass for the exact same price. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, sometimes sometimes you just buy the thing you need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll shut up. No, no need to get cute. Yeah. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, so my geek week, I uh, I'm gonna go in order of operations here. I've got three main things. One, I finished the Raised by Wolves series. Oh my. So uh, it's season one. I'm pretty sure there's season two coming, which they've kind of like alluded to, and you know they set it up for next season. I got a question for you when you're done. Yeah. We're done with your point. Uh, and it, I, I'm going to say this. It got weird. It got weird, it, mama? It got weird? Oh, dude. Uh, like, at first, I was like, okay, this is cool, this is cool. And then as it went on, I'm like, okay, okay. And, like, by the end, you know, and, and it's not hard to kind of put together. So I think I said the premise of the show was, like, these two androids took these, like, embryos yeah. and tried to start this new planet, right? Um. It's not hard to realize that this was like an Adam and Eve allegory, you know, Ooh. type of thing Ooh. that was going on. And they really hit hard on that at the end, but it went weird. It went in a weird direction. Okay. So, well, one of the reasons why I wanted to check that one out, not that I'm in a hurry to sign up with another streaming service because I am not, <laughs> um, was uh, I kind of miss Battlestar Galactica, and I'm kind of yeah. looking for like some good dark sci-fi that's not all up and in, up inside its own butthole. Um, so it, I wanted to check it out just because that it kind of felt like Ronald D. Moore, kind of gritty but still spacey and. Yeah, I don't know if this would fill the Battlestar Galactica hole for you. It is. Oh. It might fill the uh, mystery, uh, not Mystery Science 3000. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a hole to fill. Let's just say that. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, uh, the um, Space Odyssey 2001. Like, oh, 2001. Yeah. yeah you know, that right. it might fill that hole. It, that's kind of how weird it got <laughs> there for a little while. Um Okay. Good have to you know. have you seen the Expanse on Amazon? I like the Expanse. I got through the first couple seasons of it. I have a coworker who is not geeky at all. She's uh-huh. lovely. She's a um. We're not of the same age. Let's just say that. And she's not a millennial. <laughs> she's like, Dad, you got to watch the Expanse. You got to finish watching the Expanse. I'm like. You're the least geeky human I know on the earth. She's like, no, 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 no. You got to watch this. So I, I have it. I could get to it. I just haven't gotten around to it. I gotcha. Okay. I was going to say, did that fill the Battlestar Galactica hole? It, it did to a certain degree, but it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I kind of miss. I kind of. There's a little bit of space opera that I think was missing when I was watching okay. it. Just a little okay. bit. There was a little bit of the. The big story, like all of humanity and space battles matter. It's a little, it was it, I, it was a little too close to 
like Firefly and like uh, Blade Runner than it was to Star Wars. Everything's on a continuum, but I, I am going to go back to the Expanse. I'm just um, okay. get, I'm getting around to it. I I think that's coming up on the things I need to stream. So yeah. um, now that I've I've started finishing like Love uh, Lovecraft Country had another great episode this last week. It got Lovecrafty and weird, which is good in its own way, right? It it wasn't I it wasn't just plain weird. Like oh my gosh, what's happening? But my wife, in fact, during this last Lovecraft Country episode, my wife goes. This just keeps getting weird, and I'm like, and I love it <laughs> <laughs> because it's like the weird stuff. Like, yeah. right, this girl was cursed with the demons, and these like demons were coming after her, but she's the only one that could see it, and it was pretty cool. You know, there was some good stuff that happened. So, does it make you want to play Arkham Asylum? Oh, it does. Even even though, like, I don't want to set the board. I mean, Arkham up. Arkham Horror. Arkham Horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Arkham Horror. You don't want to yeah. go through the effort of doing a setup. <laughs> I don't want to set up this game. Dude, there's so many pieces to that game. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, have you have you played the Arkham Horror card game? No, no. I think uh, Fantasy Flight, as much as they have so much of my money in their coffers right now, they have not gotten me to part with money over Arkham Horror. I don't know why. Um, I think I wanted to buy it a few times and didn't, and the version I wanted had like 50 bazillion expansions, and then they came out with another yeah. version. I just couldn't. Right. I wanted to play it before I sunk a bunch of dough into the new version. So Yeah, I, just... I agree. And I thought I had signed up at Gen Con one time to play the new version. Turns out <laughs> it was the old version. I think I was. We were all there. There were like three of us. Yeah. We're like, oh, this this old piece of crap that we the Jay has? Okay, yeah. we'll play. Let's just play it. We have nothing else to do. We paid for yeah. it or whatever. Let's just yeah. do it. That's um, right. Yeah, um, I, I there's a lot to like about that game. Some people have very sharp opinions about it now. I think it I, th- I think it filled a really cool void in a lot of it was missing in gaming when it was a really yep. hot property, and now it's gone into its second edition or third edition or whatever it is now, and it's kind of quietly faded away. But they've also branched out and they've done uh, you know Eldritch dice game. Yeah, and yeah. There's just that Cthulhu um, was so hot. Yeah, that Cthulhu is so hot. Is, is that a, is that a Zoolander, Zoolander reference? reference? Yes, exactly. So hot. That Cthulhu was so hot right now. Cthulhu is hot right now. Yeah. It's called the problem when anything goes into public domain. I think that could be the problem. Zombies and 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 um, what's that guy's name? Um, the guy, the Lovecraft. Guy, Lovecraft. It's all in public domain. Yeah. And, you know. There's yeah. somebody who wrote, well, the first zombie, like guy should go sue the pants off of everybody what was that the one with will smith what was the name of that movie uh i am uh, legend i am legend was the very first zombie story wasn't it is that guy still alive his estate should sue know. everybody should sue they when should was that written i don't know i what somebody told me i am legend is the absolute original zombie tale um and those people need to get litigious. That's all I've got to say. They got to go after. Nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, that would do it. That would That's do pretty it. Early. That's before Dawn of the Dead and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say, go defend your copyright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take out like fifty Kickstarter board games all at once. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. All right, the uh, other thing I did, um, listen, Microsoft has been just killing it with their game service lately. Good. Um, they've been throwing out a lot of good stuff. 
they have now that they have acquired Zenimax, they put out Doom Eternal, which is like the second uh, game of the Doom franchise, modern Doom franchise, mm-hmm. on Xbox. And let me tell you, there is something so satisfying about just wailing on demons while heavy metal music is just blasting. Wow. Like, you feel like a demigod when you're in there just like working these things and and the gameplay is super smooth but it feels like you're going on like fast forward like you move really fast in relation to the environment you know you can jump super high you can do all these sorts of things and so you find yourself like running as fast as you can just punching demons and shooting them and then ripping their heads off and then you know, all while like heavy metal music's playing, and it's just it's awesome. That's the soundtrack they 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 developed. Yeah, yeah, and cool. and you can get like the soundtrack on like um, Google or or iTunes or whatever, and it's literally just like heavy metal death jam. So of course, you know our buddy Jason Bales is totally into this game. <laughs> I mean, it hits every point of his favorite aesthetic, right? Which is like a video game, smooth gameplay, but most importantly demonic setting and heavy metal like did i tell you just... that i borrowed his car once no i don't remember i had to borrow his car it was a dumb reason i had to borrow his car once and of course he listened to the guy's music and yeah, yeah i i got through about six seconds of it uh, <laughs> uh yeah a deep baritone over yeah. screeching whatever and i'm like there's a side to jason i just don't understand <laughs> Jesus. I asked him. I asked him about it once. He's like, "I don't know, dude. It's just there. It's just there. <laughs> There's no good explanation." And nobody yeah. comes up to me and says, "I don't understand why you like alternative music for guys in their 40s." Well, I don't know. I just have this REM U2 problem. Nobody right. comes up to me and criticizes my music choice. But for Jay, we're like, "Dude, are you okay?" Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. demons are you working out? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the last thing that I had this week actually happened tonight. It was actually a really interesting thing. Um, I've got a friend who I think I've uh, we interviewed on the podcast, actually, Mitch Reed. Um, he was with No Dice, No Glory. Um, he is a professional war gamer. Professional. Professional. So he works with the Air Force and oh, yeah. um, does Title X war gaming. Right, and um, he's giving a lecture in two weeks with the Georgetown University Wargaming Society. Oh my! um, So when he responded on Facebook, it let me know like, hey, he's doing this thing. So I signed up for his lecture, which is in two weeks from now. But I also saw that they had a couple other like guest lecturers that kind of come on every two weeks and do a Zoom little conference. And so I attended one tonight. Um, you know, basically listened to it on my drive home, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, it was all about um, like what what makes a good war game essentially nice. and it was from the professional war game perspective yeah, yeah. not the hobby war game right sure. and so there were some elements in there that you would not necessarily um like you might care about some of it but it wasn't as essential as like a professional war game and the difference is is that um i think in the very beginning he the this this guy talked about um that you need to have very clear objectives with what you're trying to do with your war game, mm. you know? So yeah, it might be yeah, to teach yeah. a principle about X, Y, Z. It might be to determine, maybe get a baseline on like what kinds of actions your commanders are thinking in certain scenarios. Like what would they naturally do in a scenario and how do we adapt 
our military doctrine around certain strategies. You know, um, it might be so you might have some very specific objectives, whereas like the hobby wargaming is like we're out here to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and it might be a tournament. You know, so you might be there to win, but that's not the objective of the the war game's objective is not to have you win. Yeah. It's to provide a competitive and enjoyable system that you can then have a tournament with. You know what I mean? That's the objective of a hobby war game. This um, website is so killer. The Georgetown University. <laughs> yeah. <game>. Yeah. <laughs> this is like legit off the hook, right? These are like events. Agile yeah. Wargaming with Phil Bulger. A digital yeah. transformation of war games, play to learn, historical board games as educational tools. Oh my gosh! So I think I think Dan, what we need to do is Jeez. I would love to get the um, adjunct professor who's in charge of this. His name is Sebastian. Uh, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd love to get him on the show and just talk to him about the Wargaming Society because I think they're doing some pretty cool stuff. And now, granted, it's focused on like professional wargaming. Yeah. But man, I would love to. I'd love to pick his brain about like, me, like, what are their crossovers? Like, what are the crossovers? And I think there's a lot of interesting topics that we could get um, dig in with that society. So. You know, there are very few hobbies that don't have a real world do it for money analog. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at card playing. You know, there are professional poker players, you know, yep. stuff like that. So this is so cool. Uh, the G, I never heard of this before. Uh, this is Yeah, they call it the Goose. <laughs> the GUWarGaming.org. And if you were just geeky and wanted to like roam around on their website, it sounds like all this stuff's virtual now. You can call into their yeah. events. And they um, totally welcome you to come in. Like, you don't have to be a part of the university to join their Wargaming yeah. Society. Oh, my gosh. Um, it sounded like they had a lot more, like, live events, including, like, game nights and different things that they were sponsoring that sounded really cool. But, of course, COVID sort of put all that on hold. Um, but, man, I, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of cool. I'm kind of eyeing to maybe not get totally involved with them, but, you know, be a little bit – now that I know that they exist, I might be a little bit more uh, attuned to what they're doing. It's clear that from their website, they're not oriented around hobby gaming and right. what kind of the the mainstream of that. But it's clearly there's a mainstream of some other kind of war games that are legit. What's going on in war colleges, and they are into yeah. that. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you just you just sent me down like a click rabbit hole. <laughs> I could just be. Uh, I think I could spend about forty five minutes right now just clicking through their website. Well, just listening to the guy talk tonight about like what makes a good war game, you know, yeah, was so interesting. And like everybody that was kind of in the chat and providing comments and questions, you could tell that they were kind of professional war gamers or sort of, you know, looking at that, uh, not from the hobby perspective. And I'm sure that there were some, you know, people who play hobby war gaming. And sure. I know there is. You know, there is overlap. Um, of course, there's going to be overlap. Yeah, um, but this was kind of a new new rabbit hole for me to sort of go down into as I was like listening about like, wow, that's an interesting take on like how, like how the different, what the differences are between professional and hobby war gaming are. Well, see, you know? and, and sometimes we as gamers need to be honest with ourselves about what we like about a specific game and what we want yep. to get out of it. Yep. Um, and if you like 
you know, force somebody to come to an RPG, but at heart they'd rather see winners and losers and they don't like open-ended aspect of it. They're not going to have the same kind of fun. Right. So, uh, I, I mean, there's something to take to heart there. Um, know what kind of fun you want, know what you want to get out of a game and be honest with and Don't lie to yourself and say, you know what I'm really into is I'm really into historical when you're not, or I'm really yeah. into CCGs when you're not, because it's just frustrating. And I, I look case in point, I really tried to do rogue trader. Yep. I really tried to say, ah, I think this, I, this universe ain't so bad. Let me just jump in here. Right. And I could never I could never find my footing in the 40K, 30K universe. Yeah. The universe never felt like it made sense to me. Like I, you know, all of the injects that I would put into the universe didn't, you know, all the X's came back Y's. And so I was just like, yeah, I, I can't, even though it's science fiction, it's, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's yeah. not fun for me. And, and I don't want to waste everybody's time. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, um, uh, another big part of the professional wargaming was the idea of like analysis that you had to do afterwards. And, and that was a big part of um, uh, like the DOD wargaming co- and like up at the Naval War College and things yeah. like that is they had yeah. a wargaming department and they would run an event or run a big war game. You know, some of them were huge, like global events, you know, that they would yeah. do. Yeah. And um, then they would have to write up kind of the lessons learned and after and action analysis. Yeah. yeah. And so that they could kind of take from it. You don't really do that in a hobby war gaming like you, you know, like if I was going 40K. Oh, you do in competitive. If you <laughs> listen to X-Wing podcasts yeah. from three years ago, you'd have four hour podcasts. Two hours of that was yeah. after action reports. Well, and I was going to say what you what you do. So the the analysis I think is a little different, right? The analysis in a professional uh, wargaming thing is: did we meet our objectives? If so, why? Oh, and yeah. If not, why not? You yeah. know. And um, what what are the big takeaways that we that we learned? And it's more about like the participants. It's more about like the. Um, decisions that were made at certain points and things like that and i mean there's a little bit of similarity is like and this happens in warhammer too if you look at the analysis you'll be looking okay let's look at the numbers so which factions are doing the best like which ones had the best win ratio what were the lists made of who was running it and like what kind of how did they use those lists or manipulate it to do what they needed to do so like what were the winning combos um, how were the deployments that you know that they were setting out? Um, what were the missions that they were on that they were running, and why did those favor these lists versus other ones? You know, so there is definitely some analysis and after game action um, action reports and things like that. Yeah. But the focus is very different yeah. because the outcomes and the objectives are very different, right? So because in hobby wargaming. The focus is we're going to have, like, the goal is to have fun or it's to win tournaments. Um, So, you know, your analysis is like, um, was this a great game? Did we have fun doing it? And, like, what was the competitive nature that made this a really amazing game to watch or to participate in? Versus um, how well did our, uh, you know, second lieutenants learn how to control the battle space yeah. that was in front of them. And you know? yeah, that, I think that's really important because they're, they're doing that for a tangible result. I mean, yeah. 
uh, we say at work all the time, well, you know, if this was fun, they, you know, we'd be paying them to do this work. Like we'd be going to Disney World. That's what the, yeah. that's what Disney World is. You're you're paying to go run around, eat terrible food, and and have some adrenaline hits. That's that's what you you pay to do that. And so if right. they're paying you to do it, there needs to be a work product on the other end of that 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 has tangible results. So right. so the government can say, well, what do I need to buy, and what where, where are the smart bets and stuff like that. And and I think the fact that we have invested so much into wargaming, it I think it's awesome. For the yeah. I think it's awesome that the government does that. I. I joke all the time about how, you know, I, I don't want to waste time working on plans to go invade Canada because there's this, this you know, this this um, urban legend that DOD has plans to go invade Mexico and Canada. I've, they, um, I've seen the movie of it. It's called Canadian Bacon. <laughs> Canadian Bacon, right? <laughs> right, where you keep all this stuff on hand, but you're never really going to use it. Um, it feels good when, you know, you don't just when things get used in, in a, in a way. And it sounds like from what you've reported out from this, this, uh, seminar that you attended, that that's, that's a real core yeah. aspect of it. I'd be really interested to see if there's a way. So the government obviously uses wargaming quite a bit and it's mostly obviously within D I would say the bulk of it is within DOD, right? That's probably like 90% of it. And the academia another, that feeds DOD. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sure. And like the other eight, like I would say another 8% is probably the Intel community. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it's a small margin because I don't think they're wargaming so much as, you know, philo- philosophizing. <laughs> yeah. Sure yeah, yeah. It's more like, yeah. yeah pontificating. <laughs> you know, pontificating. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's like two percent that's maybe elsewhere in the government that's using war games for X, Y, and Z that like maybe we don't know about. Um, but I'd be really curious to see if there's like a commercial application of war gaming that like businesses could use and maybe develop. You know that that um, you know maybe it's to plan for certain takeovers or for mm-hmm, certain mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. um like what if like what if you go to take over a company and it turns into a hostile one you know what I mean? well you know economic modeling can really be well it's beyond you know the game monopoly true economic modeling where you you make investments and you can overextend and you make risks yeah. and they pay out you can really learn your own personal risks, risk tolerance. I know that my my investment strategy in real life is largely dictated on my risk taking that I take sometimes in games, yeah. knowing that, you know, I, I and, and to my detriment, I'm terrible at Monopoly because I'm clinging too tightly to what I have. And then when I tr- try to throw that in the opposite direction, I'm like, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. I always do it poorly and, and get unlucky and lose. So uh, you can learn about your own level of, of, of how you perceive those data points of what is, what, what, how are you winning economically? How are you losing? And, and how do you measure that value? And, right. and gaming can be really a, a fun way to, 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 you know, to, to broach those areas that you wouldn't, you wouldn't broach in, in another venue. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I am going to listen to more of these seminars. I think that they've been super interesting. And since I'm starting to work a little bit later, um, like, you know, leaving around six and listening to an hour thing on my way home, um, fits the bill. You get to go to work. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Well, I've been at work since July, man. I know. Yeah, it's been crazy. I've been right so. here in this room in my basement. 
for yeah. months. So that was my Geek Week. Uh, it was pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, here's to another Geek Week ahead. Well, I think that's good. I'm glad the Geek Week went long again because I think we all learned something new about the Georgetown University War Game Society. And I'm gonna, that is like a rat hole that's going to really distract me from real work. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, news. Okay, so fans have created a version of the never-made finale to the 1980s Dungeons & Dragons animated series. Oh, my gosh. The script for the finale leaked several years ago, and despite the original upload being taken down, well, the internet never forgets, and copies have popped up on sites and file sharing services ever since. Fans took the script... An audio drama version released on the 2006 DVD collection, including original voice actor Katie Lee reprising her role as Sheila and footage from across the show painstakingly recreated to to painstakingly recreate the episode in fully animated form. Wow. It is currently available on YouTube to watch for free as a not-for-profit fan creation, which unfortunately isn't enough to protect it legally. If the right holders decided to take it down. Uh, so that's kind of cool. If you remember that cartoon, it was a huge gateway drug into getting yeah. into D&D back in the 1980s. Because if you watched the cartoon three times, you knew what a paladin was and what a ranger was and, and all that great stuff and a barbarian. And it was great. And then your parents got mad that you're watching devil worshiping on TV. Exactly. You're watching a devil cartoon. Which is hilarious because it's probably like way more benign than even like He-Man or. Oh, yeah. Oh, He-Man literally had butt shots. They would literally drop the camera (laughs) down to Tila's ass and get her butt crack. I'll stop. So, by the way, quickly write down. We should write down the 1980s anti-D&D uh, moral crusade as a topic because oh, yeah. I lived through that crap, man. And, ah. uh, and I've, I've, it's, it's funny. It's to, to walk through how bad it D and D was going to destroy the world for, and destroy our youth compared to, uh, other things that have happened since then is, is just so laughable. Um, and it was really painful at the time, but looking back yeah. on it, it's laughable now. That's awesome. All right, our other piece of news is the Game Manufacturers Association, the GAMA, announced an initiative for the charity Toys for Tots for the holiday season where every game you purchase gets a free copy donated to children in need. Local game stores who sign up by November 6th to participate in the A Game on Every Table charity campaign can order one extra copy of any game they order at 50% or more off a wholesale to be donated to their local Toys for Tots location. So uh, benefits stay in their community. So uh, the benefits stay in their communities. Participating publishers include AEG, Asmodee, Amigo, HABA, Haba, uh, Calope. I don't know how to say that one. Calipoli. I don't know. Whatever. Calope. Renegade Game Studio, Fireside, oh. Devere, Atlas. There are nice. some restrictions based on um, uh, base games only, only games which are f- uh, family games for ages 14 and under, but every game purchase provides a game to a local family in need, so every child has something under the tree this holiday That's season. That's awesome. You know what's cool about that is that, um, you know, COVID, I think, is going to make a big impact on the holiday for a lot of people this year. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. there's going to be a lot of people that uh, are going to struggle. I mean, they're already struggling now. So imagine in four months, like, what it's going to be like. And, you know, for a kid to get a game like uh, Settlers of Catan or, um, you know, Paladins or, what uh, you know, the, uh, the West March, um, you know, like, those games, like, will provide hours of entertainment. So... Um, you yeah. know, I think it's, I, I think what, as if I'm reading this correctly, we need to, uh, go out to our local game stores and ask them to sign up to participate Yeah, in it. Right. Yeah. We have a month to do it. You know, uh, Elicita Will Wheaton became a gamer because his grandmother gave him the box copy of Dungeons and Dragons, the red box, you know, starter kit. Um, you know, even my moral crusading parents, one Christmas, we had the power powers and perils role-playing game show up under the Christmas tree, which was a D and D knockoff at the time. So, um, and as we've talked about, there's lots of really great games that don't feel like they're gamer games, but, um, can be a great way to get somebody out of the, the standard tropes of what a board game is in the United yeah. States. Yeah. So Very yeah, cool. it's a good thing. I, I hope uh, I, I I hope they're su- successful. I will. Uh, what which local? Well, we'll talk offline about which local gaming store we would uh, hit up to participate in that. Yeah, I think there's um, two or three like that are local to us that we could definitely talk to about it. You know, yeah. it's a good so thing. That'd be great. And so our listeners, man, go just go talk to them and say, hey, you know, the Game Manufacturers Association, Gamma has uh put this out and uh let's um you know let's it's for toys for tots it doesn't cost the game stores any money and it also helps drive business for them like if you order a game through them they can they get to order another one essentially for free and uh donate it to toys for tots it's 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 just great i can imagine wanting to prompt them to buy like you know, five or six D and D starter box sets. You know, just to get those out into the universe. Yeah. <laughs> just so, I mean, I the, the the fact that you can buy those at Target right now, I almost like fainted in the store. I walked by yeah. several years ago and got all misty, going, "Oh well, I hope some suburban Pilates mom picks up one of these and throws it at her kid for uh, yeah. for um, a, a present." Just, yep. just add water, get gamer, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, well, let's get to our main topic, which is the game Call to Adventure. Call to Adventure! So, uh, this is a game that I played with Jason um, right near the beginning of the pandemic. He said, hey, I heard about this cool game. Let's try it out. And I actually played it with Jason and Dan Flitton and Casey. Um, and we, uh, had a great time playing it. We learned it there. And I think we told you about it on yep. the podcast. I did. I it was on the podcast. It was on the podcast. And we said, yeah, dude, it's a good game. You said, all right, I want to put it on my wish list. <laughs> and then for Father's Day, I was like, oh, look, this game that was on my wish list just showed yeah. up for Father's Day. They're like, we know you wanted this. And I'm like, <laughs> I've actually never played it. Um, but, and then uh, flash forward to GuildCon, you and I had some time while other people were playing, uh, I think, Descent. Descent went and, on for an uh, extra three hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you and I were playing it, and uh, we sat down and played two games uh, together and had a great time with it. And then 
you came over, what was it, uh, two weekends ago? No, it was just last weekend, I think. Was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, you and you and your wife came over, and we played it with uh, your wife, my wife, and the four of us. In this cool. game passed the couple's game night test. It did. Bump, bump, bump. So, no small uh, achievement unlocked. Yeah. Woo! So Call to Adventure is a two to four player. I hate. I hesitate to call it a co. It's not. It's not a co. Well, it, it's a competitive game. Yeah, the base game is can, competitive. Yeah, base game is competitive, but it can also be played solo or co-op. Yes, and, and I've played I all the yet, modes. Yeah, have you? I've yet to play the co-op mode. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's you, good. It's good. Yeah, so uh, it's very cool. Um, so what is interesting about this game is that. Uh, this is based on the heroes. It's a game that you basically have a character and you create their hero's journey, right? And um, you've got kind of two paths that you can take. There's a hero and an anti-hero path. And what's cool is that both paths are viable. Like, you can win as either. I think it's a little bit easier to win as the hero than as the anti-hero. But if you play your cards right, you could absolutely win as the anti-hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can go overboard, and it can mess you up a little bit. But yeah. um, you went a little too anti-hero. You can lose a you went, few you, points. Yeah, but you went so anti-hero, you became the villain. You became the villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's even funny. This is largely based on Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey and the Hero of a Thousand Faces. So yep. if you're not familiar with that, and you've seen Star Wars, which means you are part of 96% of the human race that has seen Star Wars. Um, you have seen a, 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 a Campbell, a Campbellian hero's journey. Yep. Um, the hero's journey in the, um, in the academic sense, you know, it, uh, there are 17 stages, the departure, the call to adventure, wink, wink. Yep. Uh, refusal to the call, supernatural aid, crossing of the first threshold, belly of the whale. Then you have initiation, the road of trials, meeting meeting with the goddess. The wo- woman is the temptress, atonement with the father slash abyss, apotheosis, the ultimate boon, and then the return, the refusal to return, the magic flight, the rescue from without, the crossing of the return threshold, master of two worlds, freedom to live. So this is so great. This is such great stuff. If you yeah. get into the, the the Campbell writing, you'll see it everywhere. Once you once you see all the Campbellian tropes, like you'll see them pop up in religion and in yeah. other things like Harry Potter. And uh, oh, yeah. you, you, before you know it, you'll it'll be hard to like get into fiction without seeing you know the the hero's journey, the the hero of a thousand faces. So and and Joseph Campbell was absolutely the first to say. Like, this is not his creation, right? I mean, yeah. he lifted heavily off of Carl Jung and the archetypes. And, Freud. and if you dig into Carl Jung and Freud, I mean, Freud was more about, like, the sexual relationships. Yeah. And how that defines our maturity and growth and things like that. But Carl Jung really got into the archetypes, yeah. right? So yep, you had yep, the, yep. you know, the different roles and things like that. And, um, you know, and Carl Jung would be the first to say, listen... This is this is just me noticing patterns in the world. You know, we've got archetypes in religion, we have archetypes in politics, we have archetypes in military, we have archetypes in everything that we do and there's archetypes everywhere and these archetypes if you can understand them help us 
understand a who we are and b like what our path in this life is you know it, it's a framework for understanding this and i think that um joseph campbell the reason why he's so popular is that i think he took carl jung's work and this is just justin 101 here by the way but i think he took carl jung's work and he made it so relatable yeah to the modern person yeah because right? you you read carl jung and you're like whoa this is pretty heavy stuff you know and you, yeah. you have a hard time relating i'm having like, a hard this... time with the collective subconscious carl i'm having yeah, exactly. a hard time with that really oh you and the rest of humanity yeah but you read you read joseph campbell in the hero with a thousand faces and all of a sudden he's pointing out kurosawa's uh samurai films yeah. he's pointing out um archetypes in the bible that show the hero's journey you, you have, know like with david you, you have odysseus example, you know? and the greeks and the yeah. stuff you know in the anglo-saxon literature there's just so much yeah and beowulf, beowulf is a great example you so, know and yeah points that out everywhere oh, and yeah. um and so you know it, it's so universal and it's so relatable and that's why i think star wars is like especially the original trilogy the one that george lucas were you know wrote mm -hmm, mm -hmm, is um because he had a, a firm understanding of like what this hero's journey was and so you read this or, or you watch this and you feel it in your soul and you know what i mean it's relatable and i am enough of a deep star wars geek that i've read the other versions of the script the, the date back to earlier in the 70s that were a uh -huh. re real mess. You know, the ones that did get published and they're out there and they're out on the internet and there's lots of places you can get them. In fact, some of the earlier scripts got made into some really awesome comic books, which are great. That's another it's a topic for another day. But after he read Campbell, the story really started to hum and it got yeah. to be really tight. Um, before that, he's just kind of throwing down all of these great ideas that he's having for right. sci-fi and from Buck Rogers, and he's accumulating these influences. And then once you can see that once he read Campbell, something snapped in his brain and it really, yep. um, and the narrative is, uh, he, he was able to develop a narrative that we're still thinking about and talking about today. And when you talk to people about these ideas, the common reference point to talk about Joseph Campbell is Star Wars. Right. You're like, okay, right. well, you know, Luke has to meet the old man. He has to meet the old man, but he also has to meet Yoda, the mystical thing, and who gives him the magic sword, or, and all those things yeah. are all there. But no, nonetheless, we could we could really talk about Joseph Campbell all night, and it's fascinating well, and, stuff. And the and I think the point is is that um, as Star Wars is so relatable, like because because it's pulling in these archetypes, so we all instinctively know from the time that we're very young, when you go to play Call to Adventure, the game, so I'm bringing this full circle. Bring here. it back to the review. <laughs> when you go to play this game, I feel like you get a lot of that same kind of feeling, right? There's things that you do during the game that you're like, wow, this is heroic. Yeah. This is like a, this is kind of a plot twist for my character. And, you know, you kind of realize that you're, you are shaping your adventure as you're playing the game. Um, and then when you get to the end of it, uh, you dev you feel like you've gone on this journey with your character, and you have a great narrative, and it's a six, thirty to sixty minute game, right? And yeah. if you're teaching yeah. somebody new and you're unfamiliar with the rules, you're going to tack on another half hour there, no problem. Sure, just like any game. 
but um, it's it, it feels very complete. It has a beginning and a middle and an end. Yeah. One of the worst feelings in the world is to get, have like a session zero and everybody roll up D&D characters and you play two sessions and then it dies. It was yep. the beginning of a story, no middle and no end. Well, in Call to Adventure, you everybody who plays it to the completion, which is not a long game, you have a, an entire story yeah. for that character and you've made the choices to help the character navigate now there's been a randomization factor in the um the the um the runes that you you throw which are basically two-sided dice but we'll talk more about that in a little bit so you've had there is a, some random elements and the it is a card-based yeah. game so there's random elements about what's available to you as yeah. you play the game but still you have so much choice over sculpting this narrative it's very satisfying so the way the game works is that you um, draw three you draw three cards, right? Um, there's the beginning, there's phase one, phase two, phase three, which is, represents your beginning, middle, and end. And the phase one is really your character. So right. you could be like a beggar. You could be a prince or a noble or something like that. You're a pretty basic generic character. Right, you have an, um, you have an origin which yep. is act one, you have a motivation, which you build on in act two, and then you have a destiny, which is your win condition, which you're trying yep. to get to for act three. And So I think the last game we played, my destiny, for example, was um, I, slay, I became the dragon king. Or something like that. I have like I'm a freaking lizard powers. king, man. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of, I mean, it kind of determined, that, and you're able to look at the cards when you do it because you want to know what your win condition is. But basically, it told me that I got bonuses for every dark, dark side, you know, every yeah. every anti-hero thing that I got. So you love that. My path was kind of already set, but I was trying to make them dark. You know, that's how I was trying to grow. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and and so you, you you do have the ability to you know, pick cards that help you on a hero's path or help you on an anti-hero's path. Every card is, is a challenge or a boon in some way. And there's different angles you can take. There's versions of a test of a card where it tests, you know, you have six characteristics. You have your, your strength, your dexterity, your constitution, your wisdom, your uh, charisma and intelligence and, and different tests tax you in a different way and every challenge has one way to be tested or another in most in almost every case so yeah. sometimes you can outthink your situation sometimes you can outfight it sometimes you can out endure it and and once you overcome a challenge you add that to your character so yeah, it's you've a, done that thing it's a three act play there's a first act a second act and a third act and and, and all you can do is add three cards to to your, you can add three cards to your origin, three cards to your motivation, and three cards to your destiny, and then the game's over and you score up, right? So you have to be real thoughtful about what, you, how you're going to shape your character because um, things get more difficult in Act Three where you get closer to your ultimate goal. So one thing, Dan, that I want to uh, just talk about real quick: um, these cards that are in this game, they're big cards, they're tarot-sized cards. Yes. And the artwork on them is amazing. It's very, like, very good. They're really detailed. And so, like, you know, you may have a beggar, right? And it shows this, like, little boy, like, you know, holding his hand out in the street. And it's really cool artwork. And then, um, you know, you may have a challenge where you're, like, um, 
steals, you know, the, the, the challenge card has two options, right? And it might be, let's say it's a dexterity challenge. The first challenge up top says um, something like um, uh, steal some food for your family. Right, 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 right. And then the bottom one is steal some money from the rich right. or something like that. And so one side, you know, and that might be the top challenge might be um, light side type, you know, points or something like that. And the bottom might be like, you know, anti-hero, anti-hero points. Or it also might be different runes that you can get. So like the top car, you know, the top challenge you're doing is still some food for your family might give you a uh, constitution rune to add. Uh, whereas the um, still some uh, money from the rich might give you an intelligence rune, for example, right. or something. And, and then when you when you win that card, if you beat that challenge, um, then you would add whatever bonuses you got from beating that challenge to your uh, pile in that phase. Right. So how, how the runes work is they're basically two-sided. Um, yep. There are core runes that have um, some blanks on them, and you try to get a number of successes. Um, and so Yeah, so the card will say, like, you can try it with the strength rune or the agility rune, as an example, but you need five successes in right. either one. And so your core runes, you're only going to average 1.5 successes if you only throw the core runes with a maximum of three. So if you're living La Vida Loca, right, and you just think, oh, well, I can beat, I can get four successes on the basic core runes, you can't. There's just no way to do it. And the runes are kind of... Uh, trapezoid kind of shaped they feel kind of like bone shaped they're kind of rounded i think they feel yeah. good in your hand and the 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 engraved painting on them is done real nice but they're basically when i first got this game i'm like why can't you just use dice instead of you're basically flipping groups of coins i was so wrong it's fun to flip it's, it's fun to, it's fun to throw the runes it's fun to cast the, you cast, cast the, runes. the runes you cast the you runes. don't even throw them you cast them so <laughs> as as you as you increase your ability to as you increase your character's ability you get to keep adding more runes to get those extra successes and it really helps to read the rules really carefully on how how to add the runes and calculate them up we've been playing it wrong for like four games and i feel terrible about it Ah, um, but um, we live and learn. You live and learn. Get in there and, and read the, ru the the rules very very carefully. I misinterpreted one sentence, um, and messed up messed up the probability curve for the whole game. Um, but let me let me long story short, you're only going to be able if you're going to do a bonus strength, you're only going to be able to roll. You're going to only going to be at. You're only going to be able to add three bonus. That's it. There's three bonus strength rules. If it's a strength test, that's it. That's all you get is three bonus runes. Yep. Um, so it doesn't matter if you have rank four. It can matter if you're, you have some end of the game scoring condition you're working for. But basically, you want to get up to rank three in a stat and move on to another stat. We've been playing it wrong where uh, basically uh, you get uh, an extra for rank one, two for rank two, and then for three, you'd get a special level three rune and then for rank four and five you could add those other two runes back that was wrong don't do it that way it's just one two three one two three there's you know rank four is largely meaningless except for specific niche cases so word to the wise get the probability curve curves correct uh, and um, 
it's fun. It's fun. It's it, it's it's a good game. And yeah. now that I know that rule, it makes more sense to diversify your character. Because right. Because the way we were playing it, you were like, "Hey, I'm gonna get up to rank five, baby." Yeah. Um, which was the same statistically as rank three. So I feel terrible about that. So whatever. Yeah. Like I said, we live and learn. And uh, so you know what is cool is is you go through and the challenges get a little bit harder. It gets a little bit trickier to to do some of the bigger challenges, but the rewards are much bigger as well. You get more, you know, hero points or, ent- or what are they called? Triumph and tragedy points. Yes. Um, you may have to take a risk by throwing the dark runes in there and you could risk by altering your um, internal alignment and that could cost you points in the end. And you go up and you know? down on a light dark tracker and, and different yeah. bonuses happen, how dark you are or how light you are. It also dictates um, there's uh, hero uh, and anti-hero cards that you can use. And, like, anti-hero cards are usually sabotaging other players. Yeah. Um, or using, you know, kind of, quote-unquote, dark methods to succeed. One you know, of the gr- um, great things about those cards, and it was kind of our, our spouses kind of missed it when they were playing it, was that you get points for using those cards at the right time. And it's hard when you're learning a new game to know the right time to throw a card, Yep. but you don't, you know, you don't get a victory points for having them in a nice hand that you never spent. You, you you have to encourage to use them. Yeah. You're incentivized to get in there and and mix it up. Yep. Yep. And, and I think um, a lot of the uh, cards would have been played more if we had done the, um, the runes right because like for example there was like play this card to retry a failed challenge well when we're rolling like eight runes or whatever like we weren't failing yeah challenges you know yeah so but it's good to know i mean Um, so at the end of all of this and we kind of alluded to this you create your story you have your act one that has three cards in it plus your origins you have act two that has your motivation plus three cards you have your act three that has your destiny plus three cards so you have total of a total of 12 cards there and you create a story and my absolute favorite part of this game is at the end, you know, you count up your points and yada yada. Dan, you're the winner. Hooray. Congratulations. But that's not even the fun part of it. The fun <laughs> part is being able to craft your story. So, like, I look at my cards and uh, I'm going to try to remember. I'm going to try to remember one that I did, which is like, I started out as a beggar and I. Um, Stole, I stole some money from a man and had to uh, leave the city in a rush and go on a long journey. And I was taken as a slave. Um, and through that experience, I turned to the dark arts, right? And um, went and uh, and ended up, um, uh, I can't remember, ended up fighting some people or something. And then, uh, you know, I, I discovered my true calling where my lost love was. And I fought off these hordes of people and I took the dragon power for myself. Hmm. And I became the dragon king or something like that. So, so great. it was a great story it, it, that you're able to kind of craft together. And it says to do that in the rule book. We did this and our wives looked at us and said, you guys just, you guys nerded out and made up this rule. And we had to point to page eight in the rule book <laughs> to, conclu- <laughs> to conclude the game. Each player tells their story! Exclamation yeah. point. 
Describe how your hero's character and story cards fit together, how they emerged from humble origins, followed their motivation, and achieved their destiny. Whether or not you won the game, you've hopefully created a memorable character. And that is part of the fun of the that's game. The, that's to me, is the fun of the game. I mean, yes, you win or you don't win, whatever. Like, that. sure, there's a little element of competitiveness, but the fun of the game is creating that character. And once you've played it once or twice... It's really fun to see how the characters coming together yeah. and to actually plan. You're like, hmm, I'm going to become the Dragon King, and I know <laughs> that that's the kind of dark side. So let me go for that dark side card over there that helps explain how I got to that point. You know, and maybe maybe that challenge is a bit of a stretch for you to gain that card. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. It's so much fun if you do get it. And then that's kind of the rewarding part of playing the game multiple times because yeah. you are incentivized to guess what? Start connecting a better narrative. Yep. And as you connect a better narrative, you're going to get better points and it's a more you satisfying are. journey. When you first play, you're like, oh, I think I need to get some dexterity. Oh, I think I need to get a such and such. But um, that, that, that helps the replayability. Um, I think the replayability of this game is fantastic. I've played a lot of games where you're like, okay, that was a cool concept, but I don't know when I'm going to pick up this game again. I played it with you three times. If you brought it over again, I played it with you again. I'd love to try the, co the cooperative mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be a lot of fun. You know, yeah. um, they had a little expansion, which was like allies and nemesis nemeses. Uh, so yes, so there's, and, and that's in the core game itself. We've just explained, okay. Okay. we've just kind of explained the basic game. Well, inside the game, it has yeah. two small, uh, three basically expansions built into the game, into the game, which you don't have to go buy. Right. Yeah. Um, the first one is this, a solo co-op, the solo mode. And there's, um, a special deck of cards that help the drive the game AI, which is fun and challenging. So I like any game, which is you can play with your friends or you can sit down on a solo night instead of, you know, sitting down and reading your phone. You can get the game out and and, and enjoy it, right? Yeah. Especially in COVID-19, right? So it's it, that's a great thing. And the other expansion is the allies. So as you um, achieve certain things in the game, you can work to bring allies and companions to help you, um, you know, to, to help you achieve your, your destiny. And that is fun because they can help you or you can sacrifice them. Sometimes it's a love, sometimes it's an animal companion. There's all kinds of different sidekicks in the game, which is very Joseph Campbell as well. Sidekicks yep. have a real part of the story and can be part of the game. You may not want to add them to the first time you play it, uh, but it's way worth adding. The, the... Yeah, we didn't play with the allies or or villains um, with our wives because it was a little. I thought it was. I thought it was a little going to be a little too complicated for a new player. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and and that's the right thing to do. And so then there's adversaries. Uh, adversary cards. Adversaries. Yeah. The adversary cards are shuffled into Act Two and Act Three, and they're a special kind of challenge. You only have one path. You got to defeat the adversary. You can't like take other other ways around it. Um, and they are cool, and they give you lots of power. So. After that, even after that, um, if you play the co-op game, everybody has to team up against the adversary. So in the co-op version, um, you select an adversary and there's a special set of rules and you set aside cards that go with that adversary. 
So that adversary is gaining power throughout the story, and you or you and your other characters are gaining power, and you're trying to tough, trying to toughen yourself up strong enough to take the adversary out once and for all, and and, and throw some attacks at them along the way. Cool. So uh, that's another aspect of the game. If you're like, okay, I've designed designed fifty characters in this, what else is there? Well, yeah. in the core game, you also have the other, the other expand. You, so I don't have to go buy the adversary expansion. It's already built right. into the core game, and that is a, a real that's boon. Awesome. That's a real boon. Uh, so, so I will say this: I think my life, my, my life, my wife, when we play uh, games, she likes it when we play co-op games yep. because I tend to get a little competitive. Oh, I wonder why. With our gaming. I yeah, it happens. It happens, but I tend to get a little competitive. So she enjoys cooperative games because I my competitiveness helps us all, you know. <laughs> and so, um, but I will say this though, um, I th- I I would love to try the co-op game sometime. I think my wife would love it. But we played, and you said this early on, we played this together as couples, and it passed the couples game night test. And at no point did I ever feel like my own personal competitiveness was getting in the way of us having a good time. That's true. And that is great. You can like you know? throw a nasty anti-hero card here or there and go, Hey, ouch, that sucked. Thanks a lot, jerk. But it's not yeah. like doing that cripples the game for, it's not like you've landed on park place and boardwalk and now everybody else is screwed. It's, yep. it's not like that at all. So uh, as yep. far as a, if you have a group that sometimes has a difficult time, uh, being competitive, the competitive version is kind of like golf, where you're kind of playing against yourself. You're more playing against yourself, absolutely. Yeah. Now you, yeah. you're 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 all dipping into the same face-up card pool, and so you you kind of use social pressure to keep people away from the thing that you want. I totally did that to your spouse. You tried to grab yeah. something I really needed, and I gave her a guilt trip. It totally I know, worked. I tried to I tried to guilt trip her into being like, "Don't listen to Dan. He's he's playing you," but it didn't work. <laughs> Because she thought I was trying to play her. Cause, yeah. Again, that's because that's, right? that's what you yeah. do. Because that's what you do. So jerk. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know the the thing is is that you know there were even times where she was just like I don't know what to do, and I have no problem in this game saying listen this these are your runes, this is what you're looking at, looking at the board here's like your top three options that you have that you could do. And uh, if I were speaking honestly, I would choose like that one because this is why it would help you do whatever you need to do. And because she's kind of playing her game and I kind of playing my game like in golf, it again, if I were to use that analogy, it's not it's not, you know, overburdensome for me to say, hey, swing with your elbow straight and put your hips into it, yeah, you know, and yeah. you'll hit the ball better. Yeah. And, you know, like it's, it's okay to tell your golf partner that, and it's okay, you know, for me to kind of help my wife. And it's not a big deal because I don't feel like I'm being cheated out of anything. It's her turn. And she's got her strategy going on. That was different from mine because we're all creating our own journey. Yeah. 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 And, um, so. and somebody feels like they've, everybody feels like they've accomplished something at the end of the game. Yes. And yeah, even if you didn't win. Yeah. You, I mean, if you weren't even close in points, you still created a story. Yeah, and it could be the best story of the table, too. So there's a yeah. qualitative. The quantitative is the points. The qualitative is the adventure. Now, there's very few games that I don't look at and say, how could I steal a bunch of game pieces out of this to make my RPGs better? 
Clearly, this is a no-brainer. If you're having a hard time coming up with a great NPC, a great big bad, um, you know, doesn't matter what genre. The the ideas here are universal. They apply to almost yeah. any genre. Um, with yeah, those archetypes. With very, very minor adjustments. You could totally... You could, if you're, you know, if you're totally bereft of ideas for your D&D campaign and you're like, well, I, I have this call to adventure game. I wonder if I could make, you know, a, a, a very believable, fully fleshed out NPC bad guy, but a bad guy we can empathize with and understand that bad guy's story. Boom. You could do that. And, but you know me and flipping cards. I love to flip cards to put things together. You could put together something really fun very quickly and it can spark your creativity yeah now the last thing that uh i think um i want to say about uh, call to adventure is that there are two skins for this game yes um that may make you interested they in are it. not and expansions they are they're, they're not... standalone games that are skinned to ips That's intellectual right. properties exactly. yep they're not expansions they are their own games same game different skin the first one is Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind series, um, or the Kingkiller Chronicles, but it's you know the Name of the Wind. And if you've read that book, uh, you if you have read that book, you love it. I know you do. Everybody does. Um, and so this would be an awesome. Uh, I mean, his his book is you know uh, Campbellian, yeah. like a thousand percent. Yeah. So like the world fits so well with this. Um, and so that'd be great. The second skin is Brandon Sanderson's uh, uh, Stormlight Archives, which is, you know, The Way of the Kings was the first book. And again, talk about Campbellian, you know, uh, classic fantasy, you know, uh, character development. There's like eight characters in that book that are going through their own hero's journey. So, so I don't um, know... If I, I I need to learn more about these two versions of the game, I would uh -huh. consider buying them because I like the core game so much. If it's just the same exact cards with the same exact tests on them with like a different artwork or homages to the different uh, IPs, then I would probably not pick them up. Um, if the adventures are different, if the origins are different, even though I have not read either of those series, sorry, apologize. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't read everything that's on the universe. So you're saying you're saying you wouldn't pick them up because you already have the original. I would need somebody to tell me whether or not the yeah. cards are identical with different artwork or different nods, right? Or if they restructured the game in a meaningful way, where it's its own standalone game, where. And, and I don't know, did they go through the effort to rewrite the different challenges and tests right. with Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3? Now, if you didn't have the game and you were a Brandon Sanderson fan, you would have no problem picking up. Oh, yeah. Knowing what you know about the game, you would have no problem picking up the Brandon I Sanderson. I would highly recommend it to anybody, anybody who, who likes those two IPs. Yeah. I would buy it sight unseen. I bought this. I put this game in my Amazon wish list sight unseen because yeah. you guys said, yeah, this is fun. And now that I have it, I'm really glad that I have it. But if I was a Brian Satterson fan or the uh, the other one, the name of the wind author, his name is Patrick Rothfuss. Yes. Um, there's there's no reason not to buy it except financial. So one of our uh, Guild Nine gaming members, Casey, 
um, has the Brandon Sanderson version. Oh, so cool, cool, cool. We'll have to kind of uh, reach out to him and ask him kind of like what's uh, what's the deal with the cards, and maybe we'll give an update on the podcast later, at a later time. Yeah. Yeah, and and maybe so, that would be an entry for me to get in both of the, into those yeah. di- different series. So you can get the Call to Adventure on obviously Amazon at your local gaming store. Uh, hey, maybe this is one of those things. Maybe I don't know if they're. This is one of the publishers that is participating in it, but maybe maybe ask to see if they're doing the Toys for Tots because this would be a great game to put out there. Uh, it looks like on their company website, the Stormlight Adventure one is sold out. So if you're going to buy it, you're going to wow. not buy it directly from the company. It's yep. The MSRP is thirty nine ninety five. I think that is a heck of a good buy. Um, and let's see, Brotherwise Games, they are a pretty cool, um, uh, game company. They have some, some great games such as, uh, Boss Monster and Overboss, yeah. which have a really great, uh, reputation and are known for being fun. So if you want to play a fun game, these guys have a gosh darn fine track record between these three I, I've not played their other one that they have on here on their website, which is called Unearth. So I don't, I don't know what I could say about it because I can't say anything. Except oh, the name uh, of it. John Tross has Unearth. Oh, does he? He says he likes it. Okay. Yeah, great. Uh, I think that's kind of a worker placement game, but it's a lot of fun. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so you can get the. Um, so here's here's something interesting. Okay. So uh, there's the Brotherwise Games Call to Adventure Stormlight Archive on Amazon for $39.54. There you go. Now, right next to it on Amazon, it says Bundle of Call to Adventure Base Game, the Stormlight Archive, and Name of the Wind expansions, plus two treasure chest buttons. Now, I don't think that these are expansions, and I I think that that's a wrong name. Wait, 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 wait. The call. I'm I'm on their website now. The name of the wind is 1995. That says expansion to me. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm reading through. I'm scanning, scanning. New way to play. New mechanic called. Oh, there's new mechanics in here. Um, I'm I'm not sure. It doesn't say you can't play this without the other one. I'm looking for the thing that says this is an expansion you need the core game to play, and I don't see that on here for Name of the Wind. Uh, all right, somebody tell me. So so on Amazon it says the Name of the Wind expansion is based on the fantasy novels written by Patrick Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. By combining this expansion with the Call to Adventure core set, you can tell your own tales oh. set in the world of Temerant. However... However... Um, the Stormlight Archive is its own standalone game. That's the standalone game. Okay, so they're different. They're different, but the same. Yep, it says uh, the Stormlight Archive takes players to Roshar, a world torn by storms and war where only the Knights Radiant can face the wrath of Odium. Using the Call to Adventure game system, it challenges you to create original heroes, face challenges, and build a character with the highest destiny score. So, um... Yeah, so the Stormlight Archive is its own game. The Call to Adventure is its own game. And the Name of the Wind is an expansion that you can use with the base Call of Adventure game to turn it into the Name of the Wind. I just added the Name of the Wind to my wish list as well as the Call to Adventure playmat. 
Nice. Fantastic. I'm all in. And you know what? This is not that expensive for fun games. Like, yeah. really, there's a lot of games that we talk a lot about that have a $99 price tag. You can get the play mat, the core game, and the expansion for under 100 bucks. And you're you're out of control, having a good time. And if it wasn't, yeah. it, it's hard to find a good game that's different, stands on its own, is geeky enough to be geeky, but universal enough to get your wives to sit down and play and not hate yeah. you and not complain. Um, because we did D and D night once. <laughs> so, we did so couples D and D. Oh no! <laughs> Listen to me, Dan. And, and this is just between you and me and everybody who's listening here. Oh. My birthday is coming up, and my wife's like, "Do you want to do another thing where like the wives can come and play when you're getting?" I was like, "No, no. I don't. I don't. Please don't." And she's like, "Why not?" And I said, "I said because like as soon as Sharon Palmer <laughs> showed up, my spouse." The game was over for you ladies. Y'all went into the kitchen and it was done. Like, and, and she's like, yeah, that's, that's actually It took true. one bad apple who is who I decided to marry to ruin the bunch. Yeah. She was not into the game at all. Not even interested it, in that uh, one. I, I feel terrible about that. But now, hey, now we know. Now we now know. Now we know. Now we know. You know. Now we know. Now we know. But she yep. enjoyed Call to Adventure. She did. You know she why? Did. Because it has rules and structure, unlike an RPG, which is that's right. a different kind of structure. It's a lot more freeform. Yeah. So, anyway. Highly recommend this game. Go out and get it. We love it. We love playing it. If you have Tabletop Simulator, it's on there, too. Yeah. So, try it out there if you want to do it virtually with your best COVID friends. And uh, But otherwise, get it and play it and have a great time. I do like it when we review things that we've discovered that we like. I like yeah. positivity. I feel like it's a very good use of everybody's time to be positive about something versus it sucked. It wasn't as good as this one. It's just this mechanic on rescan. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right, cool. We'll, we'll put that one to bed. Um, yeah. I, if it wasn't for the fact that I just bought a $600 saw and I was unpopular <laughs> for buying a $600 table saw, I would just go to checkout right now, but it's going to live in my, uh, wish list for a little bit. There you go. All right. Thank you everybody for listening to us tonight and, uh, hope you find some enjoyment in this game as well. See ya. Thank you. Have a great night. Bye.